And welcome back to another edition of Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 147, season 3, episode 38, portion of the week. It's a portion known as Pinchas. We are closing in on the end of the fourth book of the five books of Moses, the book of Numbers, which would then be the third time through that book. The two prior years we discussed in this space the concept of succession, the selection of the leader to follow Moses. That was year one and year two we talked about overthink, the idea of people spending too much time in their minds, not enough time acting. Super important. Go check the archives on those. I recommend them. I think they're really good. I was actually particularly proud of the first one on succession, but the second one's also good too. So take a look, take a listen. Back in the archives, available wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. This week's topic on being a zealot. Zealotry is not a term that we would typically normally happily ascribe and attach to ourselves. I don't think it's a it's something that on a job description or in a resume uh, or in a in a bio that a person would be described happily as a zealot. You know that person he's a wonderful scholar, a terrific speaker and a real zealot. It's it just has like severe negative connotations the word zealot and zealotry. And it's important to appreciate that that concept comes up in this week's portion in the story of Pinchas. That's the term in Hebrew, Phineas in English. So Pinchas is the grandson of Aaron. He is from the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite. And as we know, at the end of last week's portion, the beginning of this week's portion, he takes matters into his own hand and he avenges a, a crime, a sin, corruption that's taking place in the camp on behalf of God. And God rewards him with the covenant of peace. The idea that the high priests would then come as descendants of his over the course of the generations. But I want to approach zealotry from two perspectives. One, in the context of something else that takes place in the portion this week, is the specific conversation around succession. And then two, how it is perhaps that we can, let's say, modify zealotry into something that we can bring into our own worlds and into our own lives. Perhaps by simply just changing the word from zealotry to zeal and zealousness into the more positive connotative word. Here's the first part. When it does come time for Moses to choose a successor, Pinchas is not selected. And two years ago, when I went through the whole sort of conversation around succession, there's a set of principles there that Moses is seeking in the ideal person as his successor. Ultimately, Joshua is chosen. Joshua, by all by all accounts, is a phenomenal leader, ultimately. 
And there's something interesting that I mentioned there as well, but not in great detail, of the people who are not selected as the successor to Moses. And I mentioned there also that I gave a, a lecture once on the subject of those not selected. And so there are obvious choices who are not selected. Moses' children, his sons are not chosen. All they have going for them really is lineage. Elazar, who is the high priest now, is not selected. He has the high priesthood that's in his, it's his area of expertise and focus. But there are really two others who have a shot at this position, I think. One is Caleb, who I described in the first year in the portion of Shalach on the story of the spies, in terms of his valor and his values, and why perhaps he might be a great choice as the next leader of the people of Israel. He fails to be the, the selected one for a host of reasons, most notably that simply Joshua outclasses him in terms of experience and knowledge. The other one, I think, is Pinchas. He is, by all, by all stretches, by all explanations, a hero a great hero of the people. Yes, he acts in a manner of zealotry. He does commit, in other circumstances, what might be termed murder. He does kill two people here. At the same time, he saves the entire nation. There is a plague ravaging the camp. By virtue of his action, he saves the people. Yet he's not selected as the successor. Let's for a moment put aside the fact that he's from the tribe of, uh, he is a Levite and all those other factors. But who else is there in the desert that could be the successor? So why isn't he chosen? And so years ago, when I first broached the subject in public, there was a gentleman sitting in the back of the room who yelled out the following, heroes make for bad leaders. His words, I'll never forget it. I was uh, serving as the rabbi in a Passover program somewhere. I gave this talk for the first time after you know working it through, developing it, and getting to this section on Pinchas specifically, this gentleman yelled this out, heroes make for bad leaders. And I thought about it, and continue to think about it, when you think about it more, look at the, even from fiction, you never have the superhero play the role of an actual leader. They're an outlier. They're out there, they do what they do, they save the people, they fly in, they fly out, but they're never the leader. In certain discussions and conversations around political leadership, there is a side that says that the military hero makes her a bad political leader. And that goes both ways, but I think there's enough room for that position. And so heroes make for bad leaders, a whole host of levels. And so perhaps that's the reason why he is excluded. Zealotry, in some forms, is a benefit to a leader. 
But zealotry in the form that it takes with respect to Pinchas, maybe, is not. When he appears again later on, in either a diplomatic role or as a spy or whatever it is, you can appreciate sort of the aura that surrounds a person like him, the, the energy, the power, even the fear that a person like Pinchas engenders and creates in other people, which is probably not what you're looking for. I'd recommend the, the, two first, the first two articles in Covenant and Conversation by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on this subject, on zealotry, on being a zealot, and on acts and consequences in terms of understanding and appreciating the action that he takes with respect to killing those two people in the desert, not Rabbi Sachs, Pinchas, to get a greater, greater understanding of, of that aspect of it. But also think about the danger, right? If, if, if he becomes the next leader of the people, the danger that zealotry in that role has and holds for people trying to build a covenantal society, that that becomes the paradigm of the people, rather than an outlier singular moment, something then to become what would seem to be emulated and followed by next generation, young people, children, may not be what you're looking for. It may not be the way you want to then build a society that is a certain level of uh, moralism, humanism, behavior, that co-covenant, what that covenant represents may not come through in the person that is Pinchas. And so he's excluded from that. And zealotry and being a zealot, something that we have to be careful of, mindful of, worried about, concerned about at every single moment. The term itself in English or just in terms of history is the term sort of provided and brought down by Josephus in describing the first century group who effectively were the fourth group among the different groups of people besides the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. There's this group called the Zealots. Ultimately, the Zealots are the ones who perish on Masada, but their whole sort of ethic was an attempt to push and to rebel against the Roman Empire and to get them out of the Holy Land. But it was sort of, I would say, disastrous on many levels and many points. That's not to say that there aren't other situations where zealotry or being a zealot you know, doesn't have its space. Elijah is described as a zealot. One might look at the Maccabees, in terms of their revolt later on, that that was an act of zealotry, that they were zealots for the cause, for the people, for God, for the land, for the temple, whatever, for Torah, for Judaism, for the faith. And so we have to, on some level, battle it out and figure out where it is that zealotry fits and doesn't fit in the world around us. And to differentiate, perhaps, between zeal, zealousness, and zealotry, because they are related, but not exactly the same. Zeal and zealous, zealousness have a more positive connotation than the person being called a zealot or zealotry overall. It's a lot of Zs going on there today. But it's important to sort of have that sense and appreciation. We have to be mindful of and careful of 
and paying attention to all things related to zealotry. And so as I thought about it, I was trying to come up with a way to bring in and synthesize some of perhaps the principles around zealotry into a leadership slash coaching context, or even to sort of our own situation, our own lives and our own beings. And interestingly enough, I came across an article and a business leadership article about what's something that's called the zealots vision, which I thought was super interesting. The article says as follows, zealots are practical visionaries placed in charge of the bottom line in a particular business endeavor. They come across to others as visibly passionate about achieving results today, creating a superior business for tomorrow and continuously forging development opportunities for their people. That's plucking the positive parts of zealotry from the negative parts of zealotry and applying it into a constructive and corporate environment. And so if we want to think of someone as a practical visionary, they're going to be a zealot for it. We sort of maybe have an idea about what that means. To take it a step further, it's a person who is passionate enough for an endeavor to put themselves, not the enterprise, to put themselves at risk. The article goes on to say, zealots in corporate life are those people who are willing to make themselves uncomfortable in the pursuit of a larger purpose and to cause other people to be uncomfortable as well, all in the service of transformation and growth. You might call that passionate. And so another term for passion is zeal. And so that's sort of how this fits in and sort of how it makes sense. But we have to be very mindful because there's a great quote from the English author Thomas Fuller, zeal without knowledge is fire without light. And so we have to be, again, sensitive to how far people go with it and how much of it they pull from the paradigms that exist if we want to go back to the Bible or other situations where you might have individuals who fit the bill as what you might call zealots. So how do we do that? How do we go there? Where do we bring that up? How do we make that fit in? And so that's sort of the question that we want to think about uh, with respect to people in a business, uh, in respect to people uh, in, you know, in life, and how we, how, we, how we create this sort of individual um, around what, what we want in terms of, the, again, the positive side, the positive aspects, as I said, I know it's weird to say, of zealotry. And so when we distill it, we distill it, we first in direct action, in that case, violent action. But even further than that, we want to define it into a space in the modern sense that it's not, right? It's not some sort of, you know, uh, moral righteousness that a person is bringing, that a person is seeking out some sort of an extremism or creating some sense of intolerance or polarization. Those are the dangers that exist in zealotry and being a zealot. But we want to focus in on the positive sides of it, as I mentioned, right? And sort of distill what those things are. So you want to be someone in the modern sense who's maybe advocating for justice and equality. Someone who is advocating for, you know, peace, you know, actively, um, you know, uh, seeking peace in the world around them. Now, ultimately, 
you know, Pinchas brings peace to the camp through an act of violence, but ultimately perhaps, or more appropriately, better, that is there a way to do that without actually doing that through an act of violence? And so when we want to have that, so we might think that a person who is a zealot is closed-minded. So we want to sort of look at somebody who perhaps is, you know, passionate for the cause, but is open-minded to different kinds of people who might show some level of empathy towards others, someone who is actually trying to build bridges as opposed to uh, breaking bridges in their attempt to bring about change, positive change and transformation in the world through their zeal and passion for whatever it is that's at their cause. So there are aspects of this that are really powerful. There are aspects of this that can be positive and we can also bring those things into, into the world. So how do we do that as individuals and in our families, um, for ourselves, uh, and for the people that are around us? Let's say it's in the work environment. So the first thing here, let's say it's a work environment. So you have a team and you want to create sort of this level of zeal and passion for your product um, or your industry, or whatever that is. Or again, in your home, you want to... You want to create, you want to bring about a greater sense of passion and excitement. So perhaps the first thing here is, again, we've talked about this before, but it comes up again and again and again and again and again. It starts with ourselves. If we are not zealous about something, if we don't show the passion for that thing, who, who else is going to? So let's say we talk a good game around, I'll give an example, um, physical fitness. So we talk about it and, you know, uh, we, we talk about our workouts. And at the same time that we do that, we're stuffing our faces with pizza and ice cream and pretzels and popcorn and chips and soda. Like, that is not exactly what I would call leading by example. So here, demonstrating your own passion, your own commitment, your own dedication to the, to the cause, showing your integrity and your work ethic, and that way, inspiring your team to the next thing, which we'll talk about in a second, is actually the first thing that's really important. So getting sort of personal alignment and clarity for yourself around it is really important. And then getting that clarity on purpose out to everybody is sort of next, right? So getting everyone to appreciate what exactly is it that we want to be zealous about? Where are we going to be? Again, we're going to use a different term, but uh, on the positive side, fanatical about this thing and then create and communicate effectively around those shared values and ideas to nurture and develop a culture where people are seeking that out. Obviously, we want to create a space where people feel incredibly empowered, empowered to go about uh, seeking out that, that passion, that zeal finding ways for it to happen. We want to give them that sense of autonomy to do that. But I would say also we want to really communicate that effectively. Besides leading that way and showing by example, we want to very much for ourselves communicate clearly, consistently, tell great stories and inspire around the zeal and passion and energy around us. At the same time, we want to give people the tools, excuse me, and the materials and the education 
to foster that, to create and develop that culture, which then by extension develops those shared values around what it is. Of course, we want to celebrate the achievements of people in that space. So we're able to, to pluck, if we, if, uh, for lack of a better term, the benefits from the negatives in this space and be able to put ourselves in a situation where we can actually then succeed ultimately. But ultimately, 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 we have to be really mindful that what we're trying to do is in the best interest of everyone, that it's not just our own interest in bettering ourselves. And to finish with a quote from Confucius this week, when you are laboring for others, let it be with the same zeal as if it were for yourself. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. See you next week. Have a good one.